and welcome in newest episode of the Caught Stealing Podcast, the fantasy baseball podcast here at FantasyAlarm.com. I am, well, fresh off an AFC divisional round loss for the Houston Texans, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter. And to my virtual left is fresh off an AFC divisional round win, Matt Sells, at the Sellsman over on X, formerly known as Twitter. So, Matt, obviously, football-wise, I know you are doing better than I am. But outside of that, how are you, my friend? Uh, I'm not too bad. It's warming up here. Uh, snow is starting to dissipate from the forecast. It's warming up. And while the Chiefs won, I wouldn't say it was an easy win, right? The the terrible wide right uh, beats the Bills again, unfortunately. Bills fans, I feel for you. I really do. Like, they showed a guy crying in the stands. I could totally agree with that. But we're set up for some uh, good final, th- final three football games of the year. And then, guess what, Colby? Pitchers and catchers. That's right. I mean, honestly, we're pretty much past the point of fantasy football action now. Maybe it's some, you know, championship round DFS. You're doing some showdown slate, stuff like that. But the seasonal stuff behind us. Fantasy baseball is live. And over the weekend, we got some news. We've been waiting on some big name free agents. One of them is Josh Hader signs a record deal in Houston. So, Matt, let me ask you this. Did the Kendall Graveman injury maybe accelerate this deal from the Houston front? Or do you think Houston was around the hater market the whole time and it just coincidentally aligned with Graveman going down for the year? If it coincidentally came, then they're very good at hiding smoke and fire, right? Like there were no rumblings about Josh Hader before this. There were none. That – he was dead in the water and then all of a sudden it's like houston's making a huge push for josh Hader. so i mean they did cover their bases you know replaced kendall graveman with a lot of josh Hader. um the aav is interesting to me given what they already had in ryan presley right um, the depth that they already had in their bullpen yes losing graveman sucks but they had depth and they've got Bregman coming up that they're going to have to pay. Um, if I'm not mistaken, they got Tucker a couple of years out that they're going to have to pay. Jordan is going to have to get paid at some point, I believe, unless I'm forgetting a contract extension for Jordan. Um, so they've got some guys they're going to have to pay, and they just forked over, what, five years, 95 mil for Hater. So... Uh, not a small chunk of change. And now they're going to have to find room in the budget to sign a bunch of bats. A lot of times you see teams fork over a lot of money for that ninth inning man when there are far less established options. Correct. Houston and Presley, they were, I'm going to say fine, but they were probably more than fine, all things considered with him in the ninth. But, I mean, in term, we we knew when Josh Hader signed somewhere, he was going to tank someone's fantasy baseball value. Sure. I did not imagine it being Houston. So, our, I wrote I wrote about it over in the free agency tracker over at FantasyAlarm.com, so make sure you check it out. Are you in agreement with me that Josh Hader should be probably no worse than the fifth closer off the board in fantasy baseball drafts? Yeah, probably. I mean, 
the team's going to score a lot of runs. They're going to have a lot of save opportunities. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a pretty secure thing. They didn't pay him that much money to then have Presley take half his share. Like, pretty sure it's Hater in the ninth. Yeah. I, let me ask you this. There's no chance that they split save opportunities 50-50, right? Money talks. So there's no way they split. Correct. I would I look, if you're desperate for saves and you want to do a you know a high wire act and you don't want to pay the premium it's gonna to cost to get the elite guys. Sure, Ryan, but you're about to see Ryan Presley's ADP plummet because everybody who drafted early and was taking him as the fourth or fifth option off the board is now going to go, oh, crap, Hater's there. He's not getting anything, and his ADP is about to plummet. And then you're going to see people go, okay, he might be worth it. And so it's going to settle somewhere around the middle of where it is, right? But the other con- the other interesting thing about the Hater signing is the Astros are one of the few teams without – any necessarily glaring question marks on the rotation, right? They've got dudes who could eat innings. Mm-hmm. So they're one of the few teams that you can say, here's their starting five. These guys could easily go six a night, if not more. And they had a deep pen. So like there could be, I guess there could be more chances for Presley. If they want to give, hater off nights because he's never been a guy to rack up a lot of innings he's never Mm -hmm. really been a back-to-back closer guy so there's chances but you're going to find getting presley at a a steal of an adp at this point so in leagues that value saves plus holds presley is very valuable yes Yes. would you say all right let's again this is very raw considering that the signings happened within 36 hours is there a more valuable next man up than Ryan Presley? No. Your heart it it's it's a the conversation might start with him. It's very hard. I mean, maybe um Yiner Cano in Baltimore. Yeah. But that's that's probably it, right? Because Kimbrell's gonna get the saves in Baltimore. But if he falters a little bit. Yeah. Let me ask you one last question about this before we move on to the next free and signing I want to talk about. The Dodgers are assembling this massive super team. They didn't get Josh Hader. Evan Phillips is ADP. Is he getting the Dodger inflation now, considering he's probably going to be the ninth inning guy? Do we now see the for Evan Phillips? Probably. I think he's the next guy to get the rise, right? Which means he's the next undraftable Dodger for us. Correct. But I guess my only question is, if everybody assumes that their pitching staff can hold teams from scoring and everybody assumes that their offense is going to light up the board, are there that many save opportunities for the Dodgers? I mean, they can't win every game 8 nothing, can they? No, but, I mean, you think about, like, the Giants just traded the middle of their offense for some inexplicable reason, as we talked about last episode, right? Mm -hmm. They really never seem to have the big thumping, like, they seem to need to put together hits, which seems to be what's tough to do against the Dodgers, right? 
The D-backs, sure, they can score. They're the defending NL pennant winners. They've added some offense. They can score. Rockies, I mean, in cores, I guess. But, like, you know, the rest of that division, I mean, the Padres yet to be sorted out because we don't know exactly what their offense is looking like whatnot. So I don't think that there's that many, like, Listen, they're going to win a bunch of games. But how many of them are going to be three-run save opportunities where they're going to run Phillips out there all the time? Well, that's the... Here's the question. Do you think Ryan Presley gets more saves than Evan Phillips? Oh, wow. As we currently stand, assuming the Dodgers don't sign another guy... I'll take the chalk and say no. I, I mean, I think that's a chalk. Maybe it's not. I'll say no. I think it's going to be closer than people think. Phillips, Phillips comes first alphabetically. That breaks the tie. So, <laughs> give me, give nice. me Evan Phillips there. Now let's take the money out of the closer situation that we see here in Houston. Robert Stevenson gets about eleven million a year with the Angels. Carlos Estevez was the closer for pretty much all of last year, despite all of my shares of Jimmy Herget, who I thought was going to be the ninth inning guy. Wrong. Didn't happen. So let me ask you this. Money talks. I said that. Stevenson's getting 11 mil. Is Stevenson the closer for the Angels this year, or do they run it back with Carlos Estevez, who I believe, I wrote it up a little bit ago, I believe is third was 31 for 35 in save chances last year. So what do you think about the ninth inning for the Angels in 2024? I think you start with Estevez, and then if he falters, you go to Stevenson. Okay, so how short's the leash? Because Stevenson was damn good with Tampa Bay. He was really good. He was really good. Like, reality, fantasy, like, you can't ask for much more for a potential ninth-inning guy. Former Pittsburgh great, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) What a horrible Um, I, I was I was letting you have the chance to do it, and you didn't do it, so I had, I was contractually obliged <laughs> to throw it in there. Well, that's your tagline, right? Former Pittsburgh great. I'm going to make you a jersey that just says former Pittsburgh yeah. great. Yeah, do it. Um, I'll wear it. I would, guess, I would guess it's pretty short. I mean, I'm not sold on Stevenson not starting the year as the closer, mm-hmm. but they have fluctuated so much. And for a loser, I mean, the Angels are going to be terrible this year. Let's. Sorry, Angels fans. It's just you got you got Anthony Rendon, who's played an entire season over four years, complaining about the length of the season. He wants shorter Already. seasons. He does want shorter seasons, and people are like, "You're the wrong dude to point this out because you played 148 combined games in four seasons." Um, also, by the way, good luck getting that 38 million dollars a year off your payroll for a guy who doesn't want to play. Um, so they're going to be terrible. So I think this might be an experimental year and just see. What happens? But I don't know that Estevez has really done anything to necessarily lose that job starting out other than having a dude signed to his same position group. With all that being said, I will be drafting a lot of Robert Stevenson with the hopes that Estevez falters. And listen, if you're in a saves, like a solds league, Stevenson's arguably more valuable than Estevez. Mm Mm-hmm. If Agreed. you're in a pure saves league, I 
probably still go with Stevenson, but I don't know that he's going to get like the first save out of the box. I don't know that that's going to be Stevenson. But I would say even if, or especially if he doesn't get that first save, pounce. Yes. If someone drafts him, impatient, Estevez gets the first two saves, give me Stevenson at that point, and let's hope, let's hope in two weeks the narrative changes. So yeah. I'm Stevenson over Estevez, I guess in short is what I'm, was what I'm alluding to. I'm slightly Stevenson over Estevez. I'm still not sold that he's starting the year as the locked-in closer. Fair enough. And then with Hayter and Stevenson both inking deals to be or potentially be the ninth-inning dudes for their team, do you think we see a little bit of run on relievers? We've seen a couple of relievers go here throughout the offseason. You know, the Padres are collecting them in droves and, you know, all are being called closers and you can only really have a few. But the Padres somehow seem to have like 13 do you think we see some maybe maybe reliever market? Do we see it heat up with some of the bigger names that we're waiting on? Or do you think maybe by the next time we record this podcast, we'll actually get to talk about the Blake Snells, the Cody Bellingers, and the other superstars that we're still waiting on? Yeah. I mean, pitchers and catchers are only a few weeks away. Yeah, they reported like Valentine's Day, I think. Right around there. Right around there. So, yeah, we're talking not that far off. I think, man, this is so hard because I don't honestly know what's taking so long. On you have a reigning NL Cy Young winner, Cy Young Award winner, still out there in free agency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Cody Bellinger who was spectacular last year, and we're going to talk about him in a little bit. Um, run on relief. I feel like reliever deals are easier to get done in general because they're always changing teams. And so you could just get them for a super short-term deal. Um, But I don't know. I feel like there's going to be a big signing this week with, like, a big-name guy. There's some smoke to Blake Snell to the Yankees. I don't know if that's going anywhere. I haven't heard anything about that in, like, a week. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. At the salesman on X says there will be a big signing this week. So take that bold prediction, X and family. Whoever's listening, take that for what it's worth. Matt, last week we talked about shaking off the, I guess you call it the fantasy baseball rust because we've been so deep into fantasy football. It's time to get the fantasy baseball cap back on. And it's time to get into this week's segment of getting back to the fantasy baseball mindset. And this week we're diving into some advanced metrics. We talked about, we teased it a little bit. We'll be diving into it. So this week, batted ball metrics. Everybody loves them. The hard hit rate, barrel rate, launch angle, fly ball percentage, ground ball rate, fly ball to ground ball ratio. You go to fangraphs.com, you get a whole batted ball section. You get a stat cast section. So Matt, let me kind of just ask you generally first, before we kind of dive into some of them more particularly, how do you evaluate some of these metrics? Like what matter, what numbers matter to you? Or how do you take all of this data to formulate into the opinion you have of players or maybe start sets, add drops, whatever it might be? How do you look at this subset of numbers to kind of formulate your fantasy baseball picture? So uh, first of all, we've got to come to the realization that ground balls uh, and line drives, line drives are the most successful hits batted ball types in terms of producing successful outcomes on a baseball field, right? Ground balls, uh, next fly balls, 
more risky to producing successful outcomes, right? Because if you hit a fly ball, there's more likelihood that a guy's going to catch it than it's going to make it over the fence or it's going to find a gap, right? So I want a guy with a nice amount of line drives, right? Line drive percent. And I want a guy who isn't producing a low launch angle, right? Because some, some guys just get lucky and, you know, they find the gaps. They like Tony Gwinnett, right? They're shooting it through the five and a half hole, right? And they're getting hits. But generally speaking, guys with super low launch angles are not going to have very high batting averages, aren't going to produce a lot in the counting stat categories, right? But I also don't want dudes with like redonkulously high home run to fly ball rates because those are not sustainable, okay? No matter what anybody tells you, home runs are fairly fluky unless you have underlying skills that suggest that you can keep producing. And what are those? Solid line drive rates. Solid launch angles. You want a guy who's producing a decent amount of doubles because it turns out the correlation between doubles and home runs is very strong. Um, and in terms of like hard hit rate, this one's interesting to me because I really want to see what it's coming off of. And what do I mean by that? If a guy is getting a lot of fastballs, it's very easy to have a higher hard hit rate, right? Because guy throws it in at 98. In order to get a hard hit off of that, it's got to leave your bat at 95 or faster miles an hour. Well, generally speaking, if you're swinging at a fastball, you're imparting more speed to it. It's already starting above the threshold. If you get a bunch of change-ups and a bunch of curveballs and a bunch of sliders that are generally speaking thrown slower and you're still getting a bunch of hard hits, that means you're swinging hard because you're imparting more speed to the ball, right? So that's how I'm looking at those. I don't tend to fixate on them, but I'm using it to justify a trend that I'm seeing in numbers, right? If a guy's batting average drops, I'll look at it and go, okay, well, what happened? Did the pitch mix, did he see more certain pitches? Maybe. Oh, there was a huge drop in his launch angle. Well, there you go. Now he's hitting worm burners that are getting out at first base instead of launching it over the the shortstop's head for a single or a double to the gap, right? That's how I'm using it. How are you using it? I will tell you how I'm using them, and let me pose it to you this way. Sometimes you'll see people say, which of those numbers matter? And here's what I will say. Matt, let me tell you this. What if I told you player A had a 93.4 mile per hour average exit velocity last year? You would probably say, pretty good. What would your next question be? My next question would be, what is the launch angle? Exactly. So I got it pulled up here. Yandy Diaz had a 93.4 mile per hour average exit velocity last year with a 5.7 degree launch angle. Jordan way, Alvarez was average. League average on exit velocity is like just over 90 miles an hour. Yep. Jordan Alvarez, 93.3 mile per hour average exit velocity, 0.1 mile per hour behind Yandy Diaz, but with a 17.1 degree launch angle. Why do you think last year when it came to MLB player props, it was Yandy Diaz over half of a single or half singles, aka one single, versus always taking Jordan Alvarez over one and a half total bases? Which guy do you want? One of them packs up. One of them will be great for batting average. 
And Jordan's still fine too, but Jordan also packs a punch. No, none of those singular metrics really matter. Right. You have to They're all in conjunction. Them. Yep. You have to use them in conjunction. It's like saying a single word and trying to make a point where you need seven things to make that point, right? Like great example. Those two dudes had basically the same hard hit rate. Mm-hmm. One of them was more successful for fantasy baseball than the other one because they were hitting the ball not on the ground or right at Jose Altuve height. They were hitting it, you know, over Aaron Judge. That's successful. Now, if you see a guy who has a one-year blip in that, now you got to go investigate why that was. Did he change something about his swing? Did he go to an off-season hitting school like driveline did he see a different pitch mix right or was it just sheer luck and this is where you turn to things like babip where they'll tell you if there was luck involved if his babip is way over his batting average then you're like that guy got a bunch of bloops that weren't caught because you know there's lower you're like that guy's got some room for some positive movement right so this is you can't pick out anybody on on Twitter who follows baseball writers, and they're like, "Well, this guy had this hard hit rate and this launch angle. That's awesome. Okay, it helps, but like that's an incomplete piece of the 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 pie that you're missing a bunch of the pie to figure out what's he actually gonna do." Absolutely, and I know we're talk we're mainly focusing on seasonal baseball here, but you can take this same ideology to MLB player props. If you're looking at taking home run props, go to Baseball Savant, see who has who last year or over the past couple of years has been relatively consistent in terms of high average exit velocity on fly balls and line drives in particular. I've said it two weeks in a row. I'm going to make it three. This isn't backyard baseball. You don't hit the little button on the right-hand side to get the, the, the ground haul or whatever it is where it goes underground, pops up into the outfield, and you get easy extra bases. It doesn't happen. This is Major League Baseball. You can use the same uh, the same ideology in MLB player props. Look at home runs from last year. Why do you think someone like Jake Berger is still going to hit a ton of home runs in Miami? Because he's one of the best at hitting the ball hard in the air. Massive park, he can overcome that. There's other guys where, like, even if you put Isaiah Kiner-Falefa in the launching pad that's New York or Yankee Stadium, he's not going to hit 20 home runs. He's just not. These numbers – arguably don't matter by themselves packaged together you get the full picture that's like if i was going to explain to you this famous painting it's like yeah it's the van gogh the van gogh one that has some blue in it yeah oh okay there's probably multiple of them yeah you have a decent idea which one you could be taught but there's like a bunch so i will say that in season I'm a little less likely to rely. Like, I am not going to necessarily hang on to a guy who's having a bad first half saying, well, all of his metrics suggest he should turn this around. If he's not turning it around, then I don't care what the metrics suggest. He's not living up, like, expected batting average, expected WOBA, expected contact, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. We'll talk expected statistics another week. You can tease it. we got to save that for another week. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about how we use that preseason, but in season things shift a little bit in terms of of metrics. And the same goes for if a guy is hot, I'll look at those and go, okay, 
as soon as you see a downturn, drop the guy. Because, <laughs> you know, at some point he's unsustainable, right? Just One like of, when Ellie yep. De La Cruz came up and he had monster fly ball to home run or home run to fly ball rates and, um, you know, expected everything was through the roof for like, Guys don't hang on to that for an entire half a season. That doesn't happen. And then he started facing lefties and whipping 30-some percent of the time. But another thing, Correct. too, I'll add one. We didn't talk about BABIP, but if you see low average exit velocity and high BABIP, sell, baby, sell. Yeah. For those for, for those uninitiated, BABIP is batting average on balls in play. It basically judges a whole bunch of stuff and suggests, okay, if you hit a ball here, you'll get a hit X percentage of the time. And when it averages all up, it goes, okay, so you've hit balls all over the park. They average to a 370 BABIP. But in actuality, he has a 220 batting average because turns out he's not playing the worst fielding in the league or somebody booted a ball and it didn't get called an error. So, you know, it helps the BABIP, but it doesn't act like... We'll, we'll talk about that, uh, you know, in future episodes, but that's for the uninitiated, that's what it is. How about next week? Correct. All right. Tune back in Monday the 29th. 28th, uh, 29th. 29th. Monday the 29th. We're, we're freezing because we're statistics. recording this on Sunday after the Chiefs game. So the date we got to add eight instead of seven. That threw us off. Yeah. And I'm making sure my math's correct. Monday the 29th, we're talking expected <laughs> statistics. You can yeah. expect that on the 29th. So, Matt, to round out this week's episode, we're going to put on the GM hat. We got many teams in Major League Baseball. Many teams have holes, but we're each going to pick one team. We're going to put the GM hat on, just like this. You get to make one move for the team that you select, and I will be nice, and I will let you go first. You're the GM of one team. You get to make a move. Let's hear it. Okay, so despite the hat that I'm currently wearing, I'm going to be the GM of the Cubs. Um, And my move... It's the guy I promised you later in the show. That time is now. Cody Bellinger. Uh, I think you should sign Cody Bellinger more, f- you know, for more than just a year. The guy clearly proved he's back. I don't know what LA was doing with a swing that the Cubs figured out in one off season, um, but he was amazing last year. He almost powered you single handedly uh, into the postseason if the pitching wasn't so bad. You fix the pitching a little bit, right, with Imanaga. Um, Let's go ahead and get Cody Bellinger back in that lineup. Make that lineup even deeper. Um, you got some some impressive young talent coming up here. You got Matt Mervis, who should be coming up. Um, Tommy Tommy Shaw, Matt Shaw, Matt Shaw uh, is coming up from your prospects here shortly. Go get Cody Bellinger, man. Like lengthen your lineup, and not to mention the dude is a Gold Glove defensive center fielder like no team can use help in center field right now but come on guy put on a show even in the windy conditions in the ivy of wrigley field so i i'd go add that guy that lefty bat with the windy at windy wrigley could be really nice it was great last year and then you get to use him in small ballparks in the nl central like Come on, man! I don't, I don't see, I don't see what you're waiting on. I mean, 
<laughs> I don't I don't mean to be facetious, but part of me does. Could you imagine Cody Bellinger at Wrigley Field? I mean, I think we already saw we don't even have to Photoshop the jersey for the signing. <laughs> I mean you can literally I mean, just go to the internet and yeah. go first glance, Bellinger in a Cubs uni. Oh wait, second glance. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Like 307, 26 homers and 97 RBIs? Like, could you imagine that in the blue and white at Windy Wrigley? I mean, I don't understand what the man has to do to get like a five year and he's still pretty young too. Like He's been around a while, but he's still pretty young. He's, like, coming into his prime at this point. So why not do, like, a five-year deal for, I don't know, 175? Well, here's the problem with that. Ross Atkins has been relieved of his duties. I have stepped in as the Toronto Blue Jays GM, and we are prepared to offer six for 220. For Bellinger to come to Toronto. I, as the GM of the Blue Jays, I got it pulled up here. I've been writing this lineup card for weeks. Cannot go into the season with five of my six first at-bats per roster resource being right-handed hitters with my only lefty being Caban Biggio. That cannot fly. Well, I, I don't know how else I can say they'll, it. They'll all be hitting grounders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the the Toronto launch angles. That's, that is Especially uh, Vladito, that who forgot how to hit last year. Hey, best shape of his life. <laughs> he does look good, though. <laughs> hey, Carlos Rodon's also come in the best shape of his life, but we'll get we'll get to how to evaluate that in a couple of weeks. But Toronto, we talked about it for weeks. Toronto needs a left-handed bat bad. A power left-handed bat in the top third, maybe hitting fourth in that lineup. Cody Bellinger would be perfect in this Toronto lineup. Put him in the AL East. Do you I, think that the... I like it more than Wrigley? Hey, do you think the Toronto fans are still moping over the Shohei Otani fakeout? And B, do you think they're yes. going to be satisfied with Bellinger as a basically a door prize for not getting Shohei? No. I mean, I would be. He's a Gold Glove defensive center fielder and a really good bat who seems to have. But some people, but but most aren't rational. Most aren't rational. Correct. So it, it, it's one of those things where like, once you've committed to trying, once you, this is kind of, kind of a double entendre, but once you've committed to trying to get Otani, anything else is just going to be like a, I don't want to say a slap in the face of the fans, but it's not going to go over well, regardless of how good of an actual signing it would be. So, I mean, yeah, I, let me, let me tell you this with, without Otani, it definitely looks rough. Without Bellinger, it looks rough. This lineup, this lineup is in trouble with no left-handed bat in the top third. They got some good pieces, but without Especially a power Yankees, lefty bat, if the Yankees do sign Blake Snell, and you get a full righty lineup out of Toronto that Snell's going to face three, four times a year, plus the healthiest Rodon's ever been, apparently. <laughs> we're kind of biased people aren't people aren't going to believe us when we when we when we kind of crap on Rodon so I don't know how much we can say about it I mean yeah 
I think, you know what we should do? Coming up to the season, we should compile all of the best shape of their lives or great shape coming into camp, and you and I rapid fire whether it matters for fantasy this year. Yep, nope, yep, nope, nope, yep. And just roll through it real fast. I'm, I'm talking yep. two minutes tops. Like like Chris Berman, three-minute style, but best shape of their life, and we just determine does it matter or does it not matter. That's going to be good. That's Can't clip-worthy. Joe Kelly's. Has he broken a window? Is Chris Sales Chris Sales to healthy? I made it through the offseason. Good. That matters. Somebody keep him away from a moped. Like <laughs> or a bicycle, whatever the heck it was. That... <laughs> I still I still remember seeing the tweets that went around that went around then Twitter, but the guy riding the bike and he sticks a stick himself in the spoke and flies over. Too real. Too real. Um, let me ask you this. One last thing before we wrap it up. Kind of go out there. Uh Take the GM hat off. You now get to look around the league again. I know we each picked one. Any other moves that you just think would be a perfect marriage? Remaining free agent, team need, et cetera. So I have an interesting one for you, and I, I kind of want to run it by you. Okay. Clayton Kershaw still out there. He sure is. Right? Obviously, there's questions about if he'll pitch this year, how effective he'll be, Right. If you're the Nats and you've had a history of bringing back pitchers from injuries, do you sign Kershaw to a one-year deal, and if he's healthy and pitching good by the All-Star break, you flip him for another prospect? Well, when is Kershaw going to go back on the mound? I mean, I don't think it was like a season I love the process. I don't think it was a season-ending thing. Let me see if there's a timeline, because I haven't heard anything, and people are kind of like, well, he should be back. Let me... I thought it was going to be around the summer months. Was it? Okay. Yeah, you look it up. I'm on I'm on Airbnb Wi-Fi, so if I, I feel like if I open a second tab, <laughs> I'm, this whole thing's getting shut down. Yeah, that's a, that's a decent, decent possibility. Um... Yeah, he had what that shoulder thing. I believe I do believe it was shoulder, if I remember correct. Um. Yeah, it repaired some ligaments. I can't pronounce those. Um, he won't be ready. Okay, till the middle of the season. So fair enough. Fair enough. Um, forgot. But still, I, the thought that. process is there. Thought process is there, though. I I I can see it. It would make sense. Yeah, so shot. I guess I guess for Kershaw, you're looking at maybe a two-year deal. You eat the first year, and then you hope that he's back healthy and pitching in the second. Kind of like, um, I feel like there was another pitcher who just got one of those, like, last year. I think they got, like, a two-year deal knowing they were out with Tommy John for the first year. Well, I know this offseason it happened with Tyler Molly. He, he'll miss them. There you go. Most of this year. Correct. They got a two-year two deal. deal. Yeah. Yep. With what? With the Rangers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because so, the te- Texas okay. is going to come hoping, hoping at the trade deadline that their best two acquisitions are a healthy Jacob Degrom and a healthy Tyler Molly. Could work. So apologies for throwing that one out there. I didn't realize Kershaw was going to be out that that long. But like, if you're a small team and there's a kind of a questionable dude, like. <laughs> why not sign him to a one-year and try to flip him? All right, hear me out. 
take out the try to flip them. What about Boston signing Brandon Woodruff? Not a terror. I mean, they need pitching help, right? It won't help for most of this year, if not all. Like, I, Luke, exactly I mean, how long yes. He's out. Yeah, you can basically, but like, if you sign him to like a three-year, maybe a four-year deal, and you backload it, so the healthier he is, the more do it. Do a two-year with a third, a third-year team option. Something like that. I don't know. The question more for Boston is: Is John Henry gonna unleash the purse strings and let um, Craig Breslow actually do anything? Because right now it looks right, like so they fired one GM okay. to bring in another guy who's doing the same job the other guy was doing. I, I don't. I don't know. Seems like John Henry cares more about his soccer team than than his baseball team. But hey, I mean, it could, I could see. Woodruff being a guy who gets that kind of a deal. Also, if you're Milwaukee, why aren't you doing that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're too busy making their own pitchers mad in arbitration. So that's true. They took one of them to to like the arbitration process over what seventy five thousand dollars or something. <laughs> very <laughs> hey, very very easy for us to say sitting here though, as as two dudes doing a fancy baseball podcast wearing football team shirts. So. I don't hey know man, how much room I got a baseball talk. hat on. Uh, can I spin this hat really quick to a baseball team? Nope. Don't think so. Unless there's a minor league team we're forgetting about. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even try to come up with this one real quick. So, yeah, you got a hat on. Yeah, we're certified baseball podcast. So, those are some moves. We'll see if we get any of the big ones dropping. But next week, next week, you can expect expected statistics. We're diving into it. We'll talk about it next week as well as all the moves. Head over to FantasyAlarm.com. Stay up to date with all the free agent moves in the free agent tracker. We are updating regularly at FantasyAlarm.com. Give Matt Sells a follow on X at The Sells Man. I'm at Colby R. Conway. And we will see you on Monday the 29th with the next edition of Caught Stealing here at Fantasy Alarm.